you're listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for August 15th, 2021, the 12th Sunday after Pentecost. Today's sermon was given by the Reverend Elizabeth Garnsey. It's based on John chapter 6, verses 51 through 58. It goes without saying that this pandemic has brought about trying times. And by trying, I mean we have been trying a lot of new things. Not least of all, a whole new level of patience but also new patterns of work and play, new habits and new skills. A friend of mine, Mary, who is a fellow priest and lives in Paris, came to visit a couple of weeks ago, and upon arrival at my house, she didn't unpack or sit down or even take a drink of water before she had pulled flour and yeast from my cupboard and started making dough for a crusty loaf of bread that would take 18 hours from start to finish. I was aware that my friend had spent much of the multiple Paris lockdowns perfecting her bread-making skill. Now she was eager to share it. Needless to say, I did not object. And Mary was not alone in her yeasty enthusiasm. Baking bread is one of those things a lot of people turned to last year. After toilet paper and hand sanitizer disappeared from the nation's grocery stores in a wave of hoarding and panic buying, I think flour and yeast were the next things to go. Not out of panic as much as from the nation's new bread-making craze that put them in unprecedented high demand. And people turned to baking for all kinds of reasons. Some finally had the time for baking that they've never had before. For some parents, baking was a productive activity to do with children who were now home 24 hours a day, seven days a week thanks to that unforgettable season when school was all but optional. For others in the culture so accustomed to making reservations instead of dinner, or bringing home store-bought prepared foods, cooking and baking suddenly became a necessity when going out was out of the question. Others liked gaining a sense of control over at least one aspect of life that is natural and scientific such as cultivating one's own sourdough starter. Whereas some people just sought refuge in returning to basics. What's more basic to humankind than bread? In a, Huffing- in a Huffington Post article I saw, one person interviewed said, bread is what we all need and crave right now. It's both salt of the earth, wholesome comfort food, and the forbidden fruit at the same time, carbs. What could be more perfect? Life is confusing right now, she said, and none of us knows what's the right thing to do. I love that, all of life's necessity, comfort, and confusion baked into bread. Indeed, maybe that's why Jesus wanted his followers to practice making, taking, breaking, blessing, and sharing bread together. Bread is life, life in all its beauty and its messy challenges. If we can figure out how to do this simple thing together, we might be able to solve a lot of our world's problems. Bread is nourishing, sustaining, and ultimately bread needs to be shared in order for humanity to live together in peace. As Christians around the world can attest, if we can't share in breaking bread together, it's challenging to share in much of anything else. You might have noticed our lectionary puts us through this veritable marathon of gospel readings about bread this summer. 
A full five weeks in a row have us chewing on these passages about bread found in John's Gospel, in which Jesus feeds crowds and then refers to himself as living bread, and to this living bread as his flesh, and to his flesh as life itself. Today's passage is just about as radical as it gets. We heard this part of it last week, and you'll hear it again next week. Jesus says, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. These words, these words of Jesus were as off-putting to his listeners then as they might be to us now. The language is shocking. The imagery is gruesome. But if there's one thing we can be sure of in the Gospel according to John, it's that this writer often presents Jesus speaking in hyperbolic terms and multi-layered metaphors. Jesus confounds some people with his seemingly outlandish turns of phrase. To Nicodemus, Jesus says, he must be born again to see the kingdom of God a poor translation of a Greek word that also means from above. To the Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus promises her living water that will quench her thirst forever. Her first response is to ask him directions to that well so she can stop schlepping her bucket to this well every day. Similarly, people throughout Christian, Christian history have tried to reduce the difficult passages about eating and drinking Jesus' flesh and blood to their literal meaning, which has always resulted in narrow and exclusive practices. From the beginning, outsiders accused early Christians of cannibalism when this kind of language was used. Insiders in some denominations have always excluded from the altar those who can't take these words literally. Christians are divided the world over as we continue to disagree on what happens to the bread and wine at the altar and who should be allowed to take it and bless it, and not least of all, who is allowed to share it. Questions arise, such as, is Jesus really present in the bread and wine? Do they literally become his flesh and blood? Can I receive if I haven't confessed my sins, or if I'm not baptized or confirmed, or if I'm from another church tradition than yours? We clergy hear these questions all the time. And I've been ordained long enough, 15 years, to have seen quite a few ways in which these questions cause more harm than healing. I'm grateful to be part of a church that allows for many understandings of the sacrament of communion and is able to hold them together well enough to welcome anyone who is hungry to the table. But a wide understanding can't open every clenched fist. In the city where I served for most of my ordained life, at a large church where I worked with multiple clergy, one visitor who came to the altar rail on Christmas pulled her hand away when I, a woman, offered her the consecrated bread. In kneeling there, she asked if I could please send over one of the male priests to give it to her instead. In another instance, there was a woman who had been at the neighboring Catholic church for a service. And at communion, the way she took the wafer in her hands made the priest suspect she wasn't Catholic. And he actually snatched the bread out of her hand. 
That traumatizing experience led her up the street to a more welcoming place. When she was offered the bread there without questions, she said it changed her life. And yet, even with a radical welcome, there are still some Christians who won't or can't receive the bread and wine in our Episcopal Church because they fear the condemnation in their own church. Not condemnation by Jesus, but by the church. There is a difference. These realities that take place today at altar rails across Christendom are nothing short of scandalous. When we share the bread, we remember the body of Christ. When we withhold or don't share, we dismember the body of Christ. It's just so simple, this practice of breaking bread together, and we have complicated it. Instead of eating and drinking the wisdom of Jesus as his flesh and blood, all too often the church has idolized and fetishized his flesh and blood, forgetting about the bread of his wisdom, the wisdom of loving and serving, forgiving and defending, and building one, an up, building one another up with kindness and strength and generosity. How did Jesus' central teaching to remember him by taking bread, blessing it, and sharing it together become a weapon of mass division? Pun intended. Jesus did not give us something complex and difficult. He did not ask us to remember him with seven-course meals. Just bread, just flour and water, yeast if you want to get fancy. He reached for something mundane and daily, something so basic as bread. Maybe he knew we'd have a hard enough time with the blessing and sharing parts. What Jesus prescribed as a healing and unifying mystery through which we could remember him and make him present to us, we took and made into something divisive. When that loaf my friend Mary made the other day was out of the oven and still warm, her first impulse was to bring it up to the church office to share it with anyone who was there that day. It's really just as simple as that, an eagerness to share what is so satisfying and nourishing and not so difficult to come by. When we can't pull that off, sharing our bread with fellow seekers of Jesus, our ultimate nourishment and satisfaction to which the bread points us, somehow we have lost our way. There's an old saying, when the wise man points to the moon, the idiot only looks at the finger. The bread is the wise man in this scenario, pointing us to Jesus. The bread may literally become the body of Jesus, as some insist, but what good is it to anyone unless we become the body of Christ in the world? St. Augustine, when writing about the moment when the consecrated bread and wine are elevated before the people, said, Behold what you are, become what you receive. When I am fed at the altar and sent out to love and serve the world, do I become the body of Christ, given for the world that God so loves? Does my life reflect the light and love of Christ among my neighbors and strangers? I have no illusions that I can resolve the 2,000-year-old arguments about the bread and wine as literal flesh and blood of Jesus. But I can recall our attention to our need to receive it together, to remember the body of Christ, 
both the presence of Jesus among us and that it fortifies us to go out and become the body of Christ in the world that God so loves. It's as simple as that. Take bread, bless it, break it, share it. Share it to remember the body of Christ. In these trying times, let's keep trying to keep it simple. Amen. You can find more sermons on our website at www.stmarksnewcanon.org.